There was an idea. Romamu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Asking Robbins always finds out. I for the faster way. Are you Tony Stank? I am Iron Man. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective, the show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie. I am your host, Eduardo, and boy, what a day it is, y'all. My Tampa Bay Rays are going to the World Series. Let's go. Uh, I'm sure nobody listening to this cares, but boy, I care. Next next episode, you guys are either going to see a really happy Eduardo or a really sad Eduardo. It's going to be one or the other. Oh, hey, Robbie, Chris, and Peaches are also here. What's up, guys? Hey. I'm happy you're happy. Thank you. I'm Same. happy that the Astros didn't win. I am happy that the Astros didn't the, win. I think the world is happy that the Astros didn't win, except for Houston. <sighs> Same. Yeah, it would have been really, really embarrassing if they lost after being up 3-0. You know what? This isn't a sports podcast. Although, if you are interested in listening to a Central Florida sports podcast, oh, hell let yeah. us know. That has been something that I've been wanting to do for a while. I mean, so maybe, Tampa uh, Bay is now the city of champions, apparently. Apparently, it's either going to be Tampa Bay or LA that wins two championships this mm-hmm. year. Yeah, it's and the Bucks are four and two and just throttled the Packers. And Cigar City keeps churning out award-winning beer. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> but we're talking all about Daredevil episodes five uh... and six today. Five and six. We're gearing up for WandaVision. What are we doing after this, guys? So we got five and six. We've got seven and eight. Then we're going to do our nine episode and then the the ending, right? So the so the conclusion. Wait, how, nine how episodes, many? Correct? I thought it was... I thought there were 13. Yeah, I thought it was 13. I thought we were going to do five and six, seven and eight, nine and ten, eleven and twelve, and then 13. 13 as our conclusion. I'm pretty sure there are 13, yeah. Yeah, there are nine Bly Manor episodes. There are way more episodes of this yeah. than I thought. <laughs> yeah, we're only about halfway through. Yep. We're ramping what? up. <laughs> we're not at the top of the ramp yet. We're really wow. feeling it. We've barely passed the vultures. <laughs> Interesting. The first yeah, up I ramp have. I thought of for some reason. Now it's I Daredevil time. <laughs> this is the power of the mask. <laughs> Whoops. Well, <laughs> still, it's a valid question, though, because what are we going to do after? <laughs> what we have longer to think about. Right. <laughs> that is true. We will let you know once we figure that out. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we let's... know one episode we're doing, but <clears throat> I don't think we should say it yet. But it's one we've yet. discussed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Until we've gotten masks of our own. Indeed. I call what? it orange. Orange is sus. That's what I was going to get. Okay. I I would uh, assign them right now, but I think so, there would be some people that would be upset with the assignments. So Okay. I he's going to make me purple. I'm already upset with Wait, the assignments. Wait, no, he's purple. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that no, he's being he has cool to be blue. rude at, this, at the moment. <laughs> he has to be blue. 
I am blue. Yeah, yeah that makes clear. sense. That's yeah. an easy one. Mm-hmm. The other three, you guys can argue over. Oh well, I mean, if I if I'm the editor, I I, I do machines, right? Is that what that? I is? agree. I think okay. that makes you purple. Now the two of you, which one's red and which one's orange? Because I'm pretty sure I know which one's which. Oh, okay. I feel like I feel like I'm orange, but I don't know that much about okay, yeah. either. I mean, uh, Peach is kind of an orange color. Uh-huh. And is it, isn't he like? Isn't orange the more like uh, He's a party hey, dude? Party dude, which is yeah. not and, me. And the, and the other the one is cool of, but rude. And, and you yeah, know what? That's... At the end of Cowboys games, Robbie's face does get pretty red. It's it's, it's <laughs> yeah. seven minutes in, and my face is already red. And I know how to use nunchucks. Yeah, well, well, we're not being very coy about the most episode moral lessons now. per episode. <laughs> I'm talking about Napoleon Dynamite. I've got nunchuck skills. I've got bow staff skills. Girls like a guy with skills. That's true. (laughs) Yes, I love technology. Not as much as you can see. (laughs) Always and forever. I'm glad we were all able to come to this agreement. (laughs) In as secret as possible. What a special time it's been. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the, today's episode. Today we're going to be discussing World on Fire, written by Luke Kayasu. My World's on Fire, how about yours? Blackburn. That's the way I like it. <laughs> also, we're going to be discussing board. Condemned, which is written by Joe Pekaski and Marco Ramirez. Hey, you got that one right. And directed by Guy Furland. Furland. Going into episode five. Following her rescue at the end of the previous episode, Claire Temple wakes up in Matt Murdock's apartment. Murdock shows off more of his heightened abilities when he's able to find an open wound by tasting copper in the air. This is severity of a fracture by hearing the bone shifting. The bone shifting thing I don't think is as weird. I tasted the copper in the air. Is super weird. I guess they really wanted to hone in on all of his other senses are heightened, not just so, <laughs> not just like he has some takeaway as well. Is that trying to say it's not just hearing, tonight. it's also taste. Aww. Sure, but like that like makes your mind travel. He's like <laughs> blood. <laughs> Watching you do that was hilarious. I just feel like I, uh, I just feel like a. I'm pretty sure there's a dog shitting in front of the building right now. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's not just a blessing, it's a curse. <laughs> he already he always knows who dealt it because Stop. he feels the, the subtle uh, shift of the air current. <laughs> Maybe silence, but. <laughs> Man, now I can't watch this show anymore. I felt a slight depressurization in my left ear, so I know it, was, it came from over there. There's a temperature change right by your rear end. <laughs> the world's on fire. <laughs> oh, I got a good cry in. This isn't my favorite episode. <laughs> oh, wow. Really... Oh, I'm sorry, y'all had to listen to me laugh at 300 decibels. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine how it would have sounded to Daredevil. 
Murdoch explains that his senses register to his brain as though the world is on fire. Murdoch asks Claire to lay low in his apartment for the time being, and the two kiss. Oh. The two discuss Daredevil's hunt for Wilson Fisk, and Claire gives him the name Vladimir from her capture. James Wesley meets with Vladimir Rashnikov and feigns ignorance about the whereabouts of his brother Anatoly when Anatoly's headless body is found and brought in. Vladimir finds a black mask painted on Anatoly's, Anatoly's body and takes it to be a message from the man in the mask. What a... I just don't know how he falls for this. Because, like, right? at no point is Daredevil a graffiti artist. There aren't, like, masks littered throughout the city. This isn't Miles Morales. Like, wow, he's like, oh, he just decided no, to paint planted, this guy Planted. Right There's a mask in the pocket. Oh, yeah. I read incorrectly. Also, I must have not been paying attention. <laughs> I'm imagining like Iron Man installing like a cattle brand onto his like right arm or something and defeating a bad guy and then like, <laughs> stamping the Iron Man mask into I his chest. I thought you were going Well, that's also, what the Ben Affleck Batman does in Batman vs. Yeah, Superman. He brands criminals with the bat. Uh, also, why would he throw a mask in right. there? No, no, no. I thought that's what you were going That doesn't with make any sense. You. And also like... I was watching... Yeah. Have some DNA. Also, has he been running around killing people? Like this is, he's he's, shall we say, ramped up his violence a little bit. If that's the case, <laughs> so no, no one's body is being painted. Uh... <laughs> Daredevil would surely smell the paint. <laughs> and then he and then he'd touch your shoulder and be like. Hmm, I can feel that the lead content in this is <laughs> enough to poison you. <laughs> uh, the UAC cabal meets in a garage where Anatoly's remains are hosed off Fisk's car. Gross. Gross. I know. There was like brain chunks in there. Uh-huh. The group is surprised by Fisk arriving in person, though angry when he admits to removing Anatoly's head with a car door and acquiring the Rashnikov's organization. He said it so calmly, too. He goes, I removed his head with my car door. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. And he, he just straight up mattered. admitted it, too. He's just like, uh, yeah, I did that. You know when you accidentally remove someone's head with a car door? Mm-hmm. Just meant to mostly remove it. Yeah. I mean, there was so much blood. I'm surprised that Daredevil didn't smell the taste the copper in the air. It was immediately led to so much copper throughout (laughs) New York. It's like like a trail of copper. Hang on, are no, those neurons? Someone's going <laughs> Daredevil died of dysentery. <laughs> Fisk promises to split the Russian holdings equally, and the group agrees. Well, he already split one Russian. <laughs> a single camera long shot from inside a car reveals the man in the mask appearing to rescue a blinded captive from the Russians, but the captive is killed by gunfire. 
When Murdoch questions about the location of Vladimir, the Russians beg for the man in the mask not to take his head off, startling Matt, until the police arrive and arrest the Russian. I thought that shot from inside the car, by the way, was really cool. It, it honestly, maybe it's because I just watched Haunting a Bly Manor, so I've been like watching the background of every show I watch now <laughs> for ghosts and stuff. But like, they treated Daredevil like a ghost, like a, like yes. a like a background yeah, that whole ghost. shot and the way it's he's one there, shot and then yeah. he's gone. Uh-huh. Like, cool I was scared. Guy, I'm like, he's the good guy, but I'm scared. <laughs> it was cool until the guy got shot in the head. That was a yeah. little sad. That made me sad, yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> an elderly woman, Mrs. Cardenas, arrives at Nelson and Murdoch to ask for help. Her landlord is attempting to sell her apartment to become office space and damaging the homes in order to force the residents out. Nelson and Murdoch agree to take the case. Uh ostensibly investigating Cardenas' landlord, Tully, Murdoch arrives at the police station to eavesdrop on detectives Hoffman and Blake interrogating the Russian. I don't love the Mrs. Cardenas character. I think she's a little... A little too... Stereotypey? Helpless, stereotype, old Hispanic woman. And, like, thankfully you have Rosario Dawson there playing, like, a badass Hispanic woman that's not, like, a stereotype to kind of, like, balance out. But it still doesn't make me like this, like, sort of cliche caricature of, like, oh, no, Mr. Murdoch, please help me. Ay, Dios mío. Like, I wanted to ask you about the Spanglish in, in this episode. I don't know what's, like... I always wonder, like, from a writer's standpoint, like, how do they decide we're going to make this word Spanish and this word English when well, it's like she knows enough English to say some things, but then, like, she'll say what to me. And I am bad at languages. I that was always my one of my lesser subjects in school was Spanish. And then, and then in college, you know, like foreign languages, I'm I don't have a brain for that for some reason. And it makes me sad. I wish I did. But. Like she'll be like, said like a full sentence in English except for the word "aki" or something, mm-hmm. and it's like, is that realistic? I don't know. Maybe it is, and, and but it's like I don't know. It just seems like that would, I don't know. It, it it just seemed kind of inconsistent, and I wasn't really sure. You know, how did that come across to you as as someone who speaks the language? Uh, I thought I mean like Spanglish is weird because it, it tends to it sometimes does happen like that where you are saying as many words as you can but sometimes you just cannot think yeah of what the word is in english so you will say it in spanish because you just don't know so that that seemed more realistic to me i i, I had okay. more of a problem with just the way the character was sort of portrayed in general is this sort of like no you stay we you know eat. super stereotypy yeah right? like she's like the old lady from family guy who's like clearly a caricature and like you know like it just isn't she could have been made, like, especially because, like, they're, like, women in the Bronx or in, not in the Bronx, in the Hell's Kitchen or in New York in general, specifically Hispanic women, you know, tend to be very strong and very, you know, strong-willed. And it's, like, a very, it's kind of known that that's kind of what that is. So it's weird to, like, put this, like, frail old woman to be like, oh, no, please. And I kind of, like, feed into that stereotype. Yeah. yeah. The more you say this, She's the more us. it makes me wonder, like... Did she need to be like? Did there need to be? What was the elderly portion important? Did there need to be diversity in the character? It almost seems like it may have been counterproductive to what they were trying to do. I don't mind that she's Hispanic. I just don't need her to be like 
But, but let, so, yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. <laughs> like, she could still be Mrs. Cardenas, but she could just speak English because she lives in New York. Oh, right, like, not okay. Not to say that everybody it. in New York speaks English, but, like, did it add anything? Did we feel the scene was more fulfilled because this lady couldn't speak? And we got to be like, ooh, yeah. Matt Murdock speaks Spanish to her. Ooh. He yeah. could have still done that. We already established that he speaks Spanish anyway. Right. And he still could have done that to be like heartfelt to her, even though she was speaking English. I don't know. I just felt kind of weird about the character. It's not a big thing. Yeah. I like that they help her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's an opportunity to show off that they're all good people. I yes. Guess, you know? So, I mean, that that aspect of the storyline is, is nice. When the Russian attempts to offer them information on Wilson Fisk to cut a deal, Blake stages an assault to justify Hoffman shooting the Russian in self-defense while saying, you really shouldn't have said his name. Murdoch hears all of this. He tasted the copper in the air after yeah. the <laughs> bullet went through. He could feel the vibrations of the gun. He also heard, he also it, heard it, it loud like as hell. <laughs> yeah. as, as well as everybody else in the precinct. Yeah. That sounds like a gun. My finely tuned hearing tells me that was a gun. <laughs> uh, Robbie, now that we've made fun of this enough, uh, this twist, though, it was a pretty decent twist, I would yeah. say. Yeah, I... I... And not, like, shocking, like, it's clear that there's going to be corrupt cops in this show. And at no point are you going to be surprised that there's corrupt cops in this show. But how Hoffman and Blake twisted, like, like this moment, I thought, was just very well done. It's how Hoffman and Blake are shown to be the villains and how this moment really shows, starts to show you the depth of the corruption. Um, you obviously know, you know, it's it's been said blatantly that... Uh, kingpin is paying the uh the cops but here you see that two detectives are just gonna haul off and shoot a dude and cover it up in the middle of the police station because he said wilson fist so it starts to and and i know this is a theme going forward in this episode that we're going to discuss it starts to ramp up the stakes starts to you start to see what um murdoch is up against when you know cops are just killing people in the middle of detectives are just shooting people in the middle of the precinct because they say a name and that's just what you have to deal with. Um, it's a great moment. That said, I really hate them a lot. Like I, I hate Hoffman and Blake. I'm not going to ruin anything for Chris, but Hoffman is so much fucking scum and sucks so bad. And thinking about where this season is going to go reminds me just how much I hate him, even though he's not, He's not the aggressively annoying member of the pair, um, but he is awful. And then Blake is just, I just, and I know this is the point, but I just really want to punch him. Like, I just want to punch him so badly. I just want to punch him a lot. He's very yes. punchable. And I'm not rooting for some guy to get shot, but, you know, he maybe got his comeuppance and asked for it. And obviously, I'm probably a little bit um, overly sensitive to this, but it, he just really drives over that ledge of hateability when he's attacking the third estate for just trying to do its job. Like, I just... Hmm. Um. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, I thought this was a great scene. I hate Hoffman and Blake. I um, am happy about some things that happen. 
but uh, I did think this was a good twist. And and just very well done. The You're wondering what they're doing. They're standing up, you know, is it your turn? Is it my turn? Eh, it's my turn. And then it's like, what what's going on here? And then I'm like, holy shit, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that I think, really caught yeah. me off guard. I think the more surprising thing was that um, it was that both of them were corrupt. I expected one of the two of them to be picked to be like the other one leaves the room, and then you know the one left in the room is the bad guy. But no, both of them being in with uh-huh. Fisk was kind of that was the unexpected yep. part to me. Well, and it like goes even further than that because it's not just both of them that are in with Fisk. Yeah. It, it's so ma- so much literally of the police just department. the entire the police department, right? Yeah, like the one guy in the next episode <laughs> is the only one in the whole police department that's not with him, basically. Foggy and Karen Page meet with Tully's attorneys, running into Foggy's ex. They get no deal, but vow to take them to court and meet with Mrs. Cardenas to promise to fix up her apartment themselves. Yo. Foggy owning this lawyer here yes. was one of that the was yes. great. It was that very was so cool. good. Uh, Fisk and Vanessa meet for a private dinner. Vanessa, Van, Vanessa, Vanessa. I don't know why I made her Russian. Uh, <laughs> Vanessa agrees to stay, and Fisk agrees to be open and honest with her. Turk Barrett meets with Vladimir, giving him intel that Fisk was the one who killed Anatoly. Vladimir angrily pulls a hit out on Fisk. Puts a hit out on Fisk. He doesn't pull one. He puts. You don't pull, you put. Always put, never pull. Uh, Murdoch confronts Detective Blake behind the station and is unable to get information from him, but he does take his burner phone to find a list of Russian hideouts. Murdoch leaves to find the Russians, telling Claire he needs to become the man the city needs. That's a Batman line. Oh, okay. It just feels like something Rachel. Batman would say. <laughs> That's because he did say it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Claire says he's right, but she can't fall in love with someone so close to becoming what he hates. Matt agrees. Peaches. I'm Peaches. It was a it was a short tenured relationship for Claire and Matt. It's <laughs> over. She's so free to be with me. <laughs> Does Bailey know? <laughs> She's on board. Oh, all right. Well, cool. She will right. be once I tell her. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you gotta get Adam Driver in the mix and then she'll be on board. Oh my god. Then I'll stop existing. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, man. It happens. What do we think, man? You, you seem kind of happy that this was, this was taken out. Yeah, I don't... I'm not over here trying to be like the Krampus of romance in... Uh, <laughs> in shows. It's gonna sound like I'm the romance Krampus for a second. <laughs> Getting kind of close to Christmas. I don't know. Anyway, an incredible turn of phrase. I'm sorry. (laughs) The point is, I'm glad that their relationship in this show was short lived. And I know that the show, because I've seen it, so sorry, spoiler alert, but I won't say anything more than this. There is romance in this show throughout the seasons. Um, But I'm glad that Claire and Matt, like, quickly are and then aren't a thing because I don't, it feels like almost every movie show story piece of content somehow needs to involve romance of some sort and while it is like a popular thing that people can relate to it's also not something that's always necessary and i think that those two characters 
are really strong characters on their own. I don't think they need each other to be stronger characters. And I specifically would not have liked if they would have done that. What do you guys call it? The fridging thing with Claire mm-hmm. or whatever it is, where oh, they yeah, just yeah. use her as a plot point to make Matt seem stronger. Cause Claire is a badass, and I want Claire to stay a badass with or without any man's help. So I like that they pull their relationship apart really quickly because it allows both of them to be stronger independently in the show. Um, and I don't, if you guys agree with me, great. And if you don't also great, but that's, that's my takeaway from these two episodes was cool. Good for them. Kick ass on your own and as pals. Yeah, that's probably what, one of the things that probably makes it fine is that they just are like, all right, well, this isn't going to work for us. And then they just kind of right. continue on because that's not something that should automatically, you know. Like stop people from interacting. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, especially when it was that quick. It was like a kiss and then, you know what? Nah. Yeah, and they both continue <laughs> yeah. to be good characters yeah. and they both, her, her, very quickly, they avoid making her defined by being the girlfriend, which I think is important and yep. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like that aspect of the show. And I, like I said, I know that it's, I know that relationships don't stay out of the show completely, but mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a nice move in that direction for at least one character. Foggy and Karen Page meet with Tully's attorney. We've already talked about that. While Vanessa and Wilson connect over <laughs> dinner, this explains how important Wesley is to him personally. He's a friend. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a really weird thing, this whole thing, because she talks about how she, like, found this woman and she made love to her. And then she's like, and he's like, yeah, well, me and Wilson <laughs> closer. <laughs> and she's like, or me and Wesley are closer than you think. And she's like, what? And he's like, he's my friend. <laughs> what a weird. What a strange thing to be like, yeah, well, he, this guy's my friend. So <laughs> I, I know that. a thing or two about relationships. <laughs> I think it is weird. I'm not disagreeing with you. I think the point was they're trying to like, he has relationships. He's not just using everyone around him, which I think becomes more important as time goes on but i think it needed to be established somewhere so they used this awkward moment to establish it (laughs) if you only knew mr todd (laughs) (laughs) this explains he wants to rebuild hell's kitchen now chris yeah it's me chris 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 howdy severus chris Dumbledore. <laughs> uh, Fisk's motivations in this. Uh, I think you described them here in the notes as being a bit cliche, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, cliches I, I, are cliches become cliches because they work. Cliches, tropes, whatever you want to call them, and you hear a lot about the villain being the hero of their own story. Because the villain has to feel, depending on what kind of story you're telling, this being a realistically motivated superhero show. Obviously, it's not realistic if you can, you know, taste copper in the air. But um, 
but the motivations are realistic and, and grounded in that way. So you have to have a good justification for why Fisk does what he does. And he, whether he believes it himself uh, or he's deluding himself or if he's even maybe lying to us for all we know, he he's claiming to be honest here. Uh, but he really does seem to believe that he's doing what is best for the city that he loved as a child and that he's come back to. And it sets him as an op- uh, it sets him directly in opposition to Matt, who is also doing what he thinks is best for the city that he has loved uh, his whole life. And, you know, he always, you know, the origin story villain always has to be some kind of dark reflection of the superhero. But this one, at least it's interesting because it's not that their reflections is like, well, I'm also a blind super villain. Ha ha. I can taste copper. I have perfect sight, but no other senses. <laughs> I can taste the other half of the periodic table. <laughs> I can see the yeah. copper in the air. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, <laughs> I lost the ability to taste copper in the air when uh, I was a boy. It's like merely adopted to the copper. <laughs> All right, Daredevil, I'm Safety Angel. Watch out. <laughs> Truth, I guess truth. Yeah, is truth, angel. Be truth angel. Be truth angel. Truth angel. Truth angel. Truth angel. Truth angel. Won't you be mine? <laughs> uh, anyway, no. Uh, but but he's a philosophical um, uh, opposite to to Matt Murdock here. Uh, I mean, he's just as br- well more brutal. Matt hasn't taken off any heads yet. Um, there's still a few more episodes, though, so I'm 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 keeping that as a possibility. No, but uh, he sees himself as the hero who is operating outside the law to make these things happen, and it looks like he's swaying Vanessa to that way of thinking as well. He's probably being a little bit selective with the truth, like he is telling her the truth, but probably not telling her the whole truth. He's like, these Russians kidnapped that child. Now they won't bother this city anymore. Not mentioning, I was working with these Russians. That was all part of my plan. Uh, but I've stopped them. So is he working with these criminals to then take down these criminals? Like, we don't really know what his deal is yet. But you are getting a sense of his conviction now. And I think that's very interesting. And that we'll talk about it in the next part, in the second half of this. But the conversation that he has with Matt later on just further develops that i think it's really interesting yeah i definitely think that's true um i am really really excited in all those things you said for you to continue watching this season um there's one moment in particular that i'm really excited and i hope i remember to bring up that you said this when we get there uh one thing i wanted to say real quick that you also brought up is swaying vanessa to his way of thinking and something i found myself thinking and as i was watching this episode so we just watch Into the Spider-Verse, which we all agreed was a phenomenal film. So this is not me criticizing Into the Spider-Verse. But in that movie, um, a major aspect of it, uh, spoilers if you have not seen Into the Spider-Verse, is Wilson Fisk is trying to get Vanessa back after he scared her away when she found out his um, yeah. uh, activities, which works in that movie. But traditionally, Vanessa is down with what Wilson Fisk has going on. And I'm very interested to see, I, I enjoy seeing that take here, seeing this Vanessa who um, is uh, a little bit more morally ambiguous and a little bit more just into 
supporting her powerful man. So I, uh, and you'll obviously see Vanessa's character arc, but um, it, it's, I enjoy seeing a little bit more uh, true to the source, morally questionable ethics, Vanessa in this. Vanessa asks about Fisk's cufflinks he always wears, and he tells her they belong to his father. She reveals she knows Fisk is dangerous, but that she's interested in him anyway. Wilson promises her she will always be safe by his side, and Vanessa is convinced. Another, But he could have let her keep the gun. That was honestly kind of rude and dickish to take her gun away. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need this. You think this is Texas? <laughs> Another blinded worker is delivered to the Russians. The man in the mask appears to begin beating the thugs while Vladimir preps his men to a task fisk. Before they can move, the worker pulls out a detonator and blows himself in the warehouse up, knocking Murdoch to the ground. Explosions rock Hell's Kitchen, interrupting Foggy and Karen's dinner and injuring Mrs. Cardenas. Vanessa watches the explosions, and Fisk tells them they are purging the Russian mafia that had been abducting children. Vanessa expresses happiness at Wilson's work. Guys, I like Kingpin. I think Kingpin is good. I think we need to see more Kingpin. I want to see this Kingpin in the MCU. I want to see him in the Spider-Man movies. I just want more of this Kingpin in general. I think he'd mm -hmm. be a really interesting villain to see on the big screen. I and, agree. like, he just has such a presence... That you don't, he doesn't need like a ton of screen. I mean, he needs screen time, obviously, but it doesn't need a ton to be super effective. I don't think because of his presence already. Um, I don't know. I just think he's a really interesting character, and I I want to see more of him. Yeah, I I think I've already said this, but I want this kingpin in a Tom Holland Spider Man movie so badly. Yes. I mean. Based on all of these articles, I don't know about you guys, but I keep seeing like every article under the sun about all of the like theoried actors and actresses that are going to appear in Spider-Man 3. I mean, maybe he'll be in Spider-Man 3. Maybe that's how they'll integrate mm -hmm. Netflix Wilson Fisk into the actual MCU if they choose to do that at all. Um, that'd be kind of cool if they did it that way. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I had... And take this with a grain of salt because no one really knows, I think, and everyone says different things. But <clears throat> one outlet said that the way the Netflix deal was structured, there had to be a certain number of years that could pass before Marvel could use those characters or even talk to the actors about using those characters. And I saw one thing that was like, come December, Kevin Feige really, really wants to talk to... um. Who's the guy that plays Daredevil? Charlie Cox. That's what I thought, yes. but then I was afraid I was saying the wrong Charlie. Um, I was Were afraid you say I was like <laughs> Charlie Dix or <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I don't even know what, where I was going with that. Uh, it's Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, I was, I'm like, there's a. I think I, I was afraid that I was thinking of Charlie. I was afraid I was going to say Charlie Day when I meant Charlie Cox. But yeah, Charlie Cox. Charlize. Charlize Theron. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, but the, but the rumor is that Feige is very interested in bringing in Matt, his Matt Murdock. And I don't see why he wouldn't be also interested in bringing in that, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's Wilson Fisk. And I think Spider-Man would be the 
absolute perfect place to do it since Fisk is just as much a Spider-Man villain as he is a Daredevil villain. So I'm I'm for it. Yeah, I would like that a lot. You know what movie I forgot is happening? Morbius. Oh yeah. And now we're reminded. <laughs> I'll forget it again in a couple minutes. Yeah. And I forgot that movie because that's another one that like Morbius. Because I remember Morbius specifically from the Spider-Man animated series, and I think he was in an episode with Daredevil. It was like Daredevil. I think Blade was also in that episode. Spider-Man animated series was wild. If you haven't like at this point, I've talked about it enough. But if you haven't watched the Spider-Man animated series, I- I'm sad because it's it really shaped the way that I view superheroes. Same. It's on Disney Plus, right? It is. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't hold up that well, but no. it's still it's still Spider-Man. <laughs> Turk Barrett gets paid off by James Wesley in return for planting the tip on Vladimir to bait him into turning on Fisk. An injured Vladimir limps away from the warehouse when he's attacked by the man in the mask. The cops arrive to arrest both as the credits roll. I thought that was a good ending to this episode. I thought this was a pretty solid episode. I did mm-hmm. enjoy the next episode more, but I thought this mm-hmm. was a pretty solid episode. Look, yeah. to be honest with you guys, mm-hmm. anything's going to be better than episode three. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Yes. Off the top of my head, I feel like three is the weakest of the season. There's no way it's not. Because at well, least the later in, the, at least the, the later in you get to the episodes of season one, you have developed more story and more stakes are in place even if the episode is as boring as three was you would at least be wondering what the hell was going to happen with the plot sure right in like a in like a i already have a lot of information way episode three was also what the hell is going to happen with the plot but in a i have barely any information way Mm -hmm. at least if you're gonna bore me put some ghosts in the background (laughs) (laughs) and he dunks on bly manor again (laughs) I gotta say, I agree with what you're saying about episode five because the uh, the ending was very compelling to immediately start the next episode. They ended yeah. that one very strong. Like, oh, yeah. oh, what's how's it gonna get out of this one? Got I gotta immediately watch. Got to uh-huh. cancel my plans. So, I I really like that lead in, that little cliffhanger there. All right, so next episode picks up right where the last left off with the cops attempting to arrest the man in the mask. As the cops cuff Murdoch, they move to kill Rashnikov. Matt is able to subdue the cops while cuffed and escapes with Vladimir while the police kill his right-hand Russian. What? Do... His right-hand Russian? No, I'm good at his right-hand right hand named Russian. Russian. Comma, quotation marks, Russian. <laughs> I don't know what that was supposed to be. <laughs> Wesley and Fisk discuss how the situation will get handled. They vow to deal with Blake later after he allowed the man in the mask to take his burner phone. Fisk asks, says he'll let the police do their jobs as that's what I'm paying them for, right? While Hoffman, Blake, and the cops murder the surviving Russians in the ruins of the warehouses. Foggy and Karen bring Mrs. Gardenas to the hospital where she is treated by Claire. Murdoch attempts. Yeah. <laughs> what a small city New York is. <laughs> Murdoch attempts to interrogate Rashnikov, finds him disagreeable. 
When Rashnikov passes out from his injuries, Murdoch calls Clara to help him tend to Vladimir's wounds to try and keep him awake, including using a roadside flare to carterize a bullet wound. Ow. But you know what, Chris? Yeah. He could taste the nitrogen in the air. <laughs> My God, and this... That's how he knew that those that those road flares were there. Oh, Eduardo's going for the, uh, the record of... Um derailing with a specific topic because we beat the record with goosebumps last episode yeah but that topic is this at is least adjacent this is, to the topic that's no, true this is just good segueing okay no it is yeah it's yeah. funny i like it keep doing it please i can taste your segues in the air maybe don't repeat that ever okay well bye bye everyone Chris? Uh, yes, sir. Road flares. Road flares. He just knew. And a, he knew and they a box were there. Of, and a half-empty box of nails. <laughs> that, okay. So, Daredevil's superpowers are that his senses are heightened because he is blind because of chemicals. And Maybe this is just an issue with Daredevil in general. I have not read too many Daredevil comics, but his powers don't make sense to me. I, I get, I, I, and and I think part of the problem is, is that superior like heightened senses is a good power set. It is, but comic books and TV and movies. Are all visual media and the um by the nature of his powers they don't really translate well to visual to a visual medium so it's really hard to demonstrate them so you have to have him narrate his powers sometimes and we kind of made fun of that in a previous episode about the comics know uh, especially like how like 60s daredevil would be like my heightened hearing from my accident has alerted me to the fact that there is a bird over there or whatever <laughs> uh, <Calm>. so yeah <laughs> uh, and i actually thought the taste of copper aside i thought the explanation we got in episode five was pretty good he's like you know i can hear uh the sound of your bones together so i can tell that there's uh that they're not broken, that there's a hairline fracture. That actually makes sense. When you say it out loud, you're like, okay, I get that. And then we get here where he's in a dark warehouse and he's on the phone with Claire and she goes, what's around? First of all, rude question to ask a man who is blind. She knows second of all, too. yeah. Second of all, he stops for a second, holds his breath and then says half a box of nails roadside assistance pack there are two flares inside of it uh there's a hose over here like he starts like listing everything in the room how right how did he know these things right because i i mean i've seen i've i've heard stories of people who uh people who are blind and they have and and you know people are really great at adapting and it's it's really cool like i've heard of people who actually train themselves to like use echolocation kind of like that they'll click a lot and they're able to like find things that way because they're they're i just imagine matt murdoch going 
<laughs> There's two flares and half a box of nails in here. <laughs> oh. Don't make me cry again. Yeah. Dolphin Noises is my favorite football player. <laughs> Boy. Um. Oh. Uh, but anyway, but but you know, people like like people have learned to uh, to hone their other senses uh, when they when they lose the use of one. I mean, that's a that's a real thing, and Daredevil just takes it to another level. But that was just a step too far for me. I can, you know, I I'm willing to suspend my disbelief and and say that you know this guy has learned how to fight. Okay, I I can I can handle that. I can even take the, I tasted the blood. I can taste copper. I know you're bleeding. Um, but that was just too much for him to just stop and start pointing around the room, basically, is saying, there's this thing over here. There's that thing over here. Here's a very specific thing. That's like him saying, well, there's a red box back there. Um, <laughs> red paint feels a little bit different from blue paint. You know, it's like. It, it, it was just a little too... I, I don't get it. Yeah. I'm Explain glad you said it to it. me, Robbie. <laughs> I can't. I'm glad you said it because when I was first watching this se- series, that moment was like, uh, I don't really think that's how his powers have been explained to work in a way that I understand. Yeah. And then when I rewatched it, it, I still felt the same way. I'm like, that's a, that's weird. Now... So what I will say is I agree with you. Also, it might make you feel better that, like, I don't feel like that sort of thing continues. Okay. Um, it, it, it at least seems to follow a little bit more internal logic than, yes, he's got some BS abilities, but BS abilities to, are fine with me as long as you explain and follow the internal logic of your BS abilities. Yes. And that one was a little weird. Could have very easily, he could have caused some sort of echo, located the box by hearing the echo, shake the box and he can tell what's in the box from shaking the contents and hearing and feeling the contents. Absolutely something I would buy. That's, yeah. That's what I wanted to chime in with is that no, he on. maybe could have like sensed the presence of just the box that had all that stuff in it. And then maybe felt you could have just watched him for half a second, just like feel around the box with his hand, mm-hmm. you know, like, Oh, I recognize a box of nails because I shook the box and it sounded yes. like clinking metal. And I do think his abilities from episode to episode get a, are just ever so slightly inconsistent. And I think that just has to do with different writers. Um, but this isn't this, this, I can literally just tell what's inside of a sealed container on the other side of a room while everything is still and quiet. That's mm. weird. Is there anything more true to comics though, than different power sets? For oh no, this writers. is super accurate to comic books. <laughs> this is super yeah. accurate. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. So many characters, their 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 competence or their superpowers depend on who's writing them. Like, like oh, when this person writes Spider Man, uh, he does this. But when this guy writes Spider Man, right. he does that. This Spider Man can't lift a car. Of... This Spider Man can hold up entire buildings. Yeah, yeah. Oh, or or and we've talked about Spider Sense. Spider Sense changes based on the author. Sometimes yeah. Spider Sense is I sense that I'm in danger. Sometimes Spider Sense is I can tell that man has a gun. I can tell that man's gonna hurt my aunt. I that can man tell has <laughs> a half empty box of nails. Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> sometimes Spider Sense is I can tell what's happening in the future. So mm-hmm. right, absolutely. 
that's how comic books do. Yeah. I feel there's another one I feel like like on the tip of my mind, I guess, there's another character that I know is constantly inconsistent in his power set, but I can't remember who it is. Superman? Maybe Superman. <laughs> yes. Side note, and unimportant to this podcast, but I just learned the other day. Did you know that Superman wasn't originally able to fly? He was literally just able to leap really yes. high. And then yeah. they made him, he started flying because in the show they thought leaping was unconvincing. So they made him fly. And they took that from the original Superman show and put it in the comic. And he has flown ever since. Yeah. That's, anyway, that's, that's cool. really not important, but I thought it was cool. No, it's, I mean, it's one of the first examples of comics being adapted to another medium mm-hmm. and then the change in that medium coming back to the comics. Extremely early on, too. Like when Spider-Man had organic web shooters for a little while. That came Stop. back to the comics? Yeah, but briefly. very briefly. Huh. Yeah. Go web, go. Yeah. Fly. <laughs> up up and away web cowabunga oh sorry <laughs> stop getting ahead of yourself come on <laughs> let's kick shell Vladimir's scream tip off an <laughs> officer in the area who finds Murdoch and Rashnikov and call their location out to all units Hoffman, Blake and several units arrive on the scene along with a snooping Ben Yurik Fisk and Wesley begin to give Hoffman the direction to storm the building, but the presence of Yurik gives them pause and forces another plan, which Fisk says he wants everyone in Hell's Kitchen to see. I think this plan is stupid, but I'll talk about it a little later once the plan's actually in fruition. I think this plan is stupid. Rashnikov begins to give Murdoch information on Fisk. He explains the entire operation, the trafficking of Chinese heroin, and starts to explain that Leland Owsley is the key to taking them down. Before Vladimir turns over Owsley's name, he attacks Murdoch, and the two fall down several stories into the basement of the warehouse, knocking them both out. As they come to, Vladimir's heart stops, and the man in the mask is forced to do CPR on him in order to keep up the interrogation. As a CPR-trained person... That is not how you do CPR. Right. You don't just smash on someone's chest right. over and over again until they start breathing. That's not how that works. He was doing something else. Yeah. I thought that it was supposed to be to the rhythm of staying alive. Exactly. Yeah. To be fair, his power set includes detecting boxes of nails and not CPR. That's true. He may just be better at CPR than we are because of he can actually sense what's happening inside the body. He's like, he can actually tune it to the actual heart rate. <laughs> My senses are telling me this man needs a punch to the chest. Uh... <laughs> everything tells him that people need punches to the chest. That's his solution for everything. <laughs> well, he didn't have a dumpster he could toss him into, so yeah. Good point. Good the next point. best thing. Wesley walks out of a police station with a radio he hands to Fisk, and Hoffman and Blake clear a channel for Fisk keys. With his super hearing, the man in the mask is able to find an underground access to escape the basement, but is interrupted by Fisk asking to talk to him over the radio that belonged to the officer who discovered him. Fisk taunts Murdoch, telling him his life is not a fairy tale and not everyone has a happy ending, but that he admires him for trying to make a difference. Wilson tells Matt he will pin the bombings on the, mask, the man in the mask unless he kills Rashnikov. 
Murdoch begins pacing under frustration of realizing Fisk is in control of the situation as a sniper sets up on the roof. Now, Robbie, this is a pretty cool interaction between Daredevil and Kingpin, right? Yeah. Um, obviously, everything like this, every superhero film and television show, is at some point going to have to have your hero meets nemesis moment. And in all of those, I think this one might be my favorite of all of them. It's... And a lot of it, we've already talked about how great these characters, in particular Wilson Fisk, are. And that's where a lot of it comes from. But Fisk has some great monologues in this series. And this is um, not quite a monologue because he's interacting with someone. But he just... It's great. His delivery is fantastic. Um, his, um, his belittling of uh of murdoch and the way he's just in complete control of the situation and this is where we're seeing so we talked about in the last on the last podcast we talked about the garage episode where you're so shown that matt murdoch it's already a force to be reckoned with he can handle a lot of situations and this is where you're seeing what he can't handle is how in control and intelligent wilson fisk is because he's you're about to make fun of his plan, but he's got a plan. He, the, the way he turns it where, where Matt thinks he's being clever and like, you know, that, that just shows me he's important to you. And Fisk just goes, that just shows me he hasn't told you anything yet. Like that's, and, and the way. That was so good. Yes. <laughs> and the way Murdoch just gets so visibly frustrated by screwing up. It's just so good. And he's so in control. And also it's still continuing to show exactly what Soundworld was talking about, where, Fisk is doing and, and put a pen in this conversation for later in the series, but Fisk is doing what he thinks is right. This just annoying dude. He, he's saying that you and I are the same. It's just, you're thinking too small and I have a much bigger, grander plan. But the way he just manipulates and controls the conversation and is clearly going to, you know, be the dominant force in this hero villain relationship. I just think it's, it's fantastic. And it's a great, um it's just so great and and it just gets back to i want more of this kingpin because this is he is not he's not being comical and he's not actually he's not scary in the terms of you know he's not thanos who can snap away half the universe he's not a horror villain he's just someone with a lot of power and knows how to use that lots of power and it's great seeing this, and it's great seeing Murdoch learn what he's up against. It's always nice when you can get a "we're not so different, you and I" speech yes. that doesn't make you roll your eyes. Yes, I agree. And this was a very good one. Yes. I sneezed. Oh, bless you. Bless you. You move I, away from the mic to sneeze. That I, that I did. You didn't, you didn't want everyone to make fun of you again. <laughs> <laughs> I smell rain. <laughs> As Matt threatens to stop Wilson, Fisk tells Murdoch his part in this is over and the city will soon turn on him. He gives Wesley the order to do it as a sniper begins shooting cops, starting with Blake. The local news plays security footage of the man in the mask taking out the cops trying to arrest Rashnikov and implies he is the one shooting the police as Fisk manipulates the media into spitting the man in the mask as a dangerous criminal. Which technically he is. 
That's true. He's yeah, just a... <laughs> it's true. But what a stupid plan. First off, did you see the quality of the video they showed? Here's this blurry picture of some random guy wearing a black right. mask all over his face. Now everyone knows it was you, man in mask. I've got you now. Like what? You haven't watched season three yet, right? I've watched part of season three. Okay. So this is a minor spoiler, but I think it's important we have to discuss this. It is amazing how dumb people are in this universe at just, that guy's wearing a mask. Only one person could ever wear that mask. It must be the same guy. And yes, I understand in this instance it is the same guy, but that's not my point. Like, how do you just, like, that's the guy who saved me. He's actually dangerous because no one else could dress like that. Anyone could wear the mask. (laughs) You could wear the mask. I learned that in a different movie that had Kingpin in it. <laughs> I don't know. I think it is. I think it is kind of silly, but also just think about the things in the last, I don't know, four years or so that people just believe with almost no real solid evidence. So I want you to talk more about why it's silly because I don't. I'm not going to say you're wrong. I'm just going to say that I was so in suspense as to what's the sniper going to do. The sniper have a shot on Daredevil? What's the sniper? And then he starts shooting the cops, and then it clicked to me what was happening. But I did like that buildup of what is this plan? What's going to happen? And then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, crap. Like, So maybe you're right that it's silly, but dramatically, I, I bought in. I was, I was, Yeah, it caught me by surprise. Yeah. Sure, but the man in the mask isn't a superhero, right? He's not Spider-Man. The, the, I immediately thought of the end of Spider-Man Far From Home and how... How they were like, this is how you get him because he is a public figure. He is somebody that people look to. He's constantly with people. This daredevil is never with people. He is literally right. only ever kicking the crap out of uh, kingpins and the Russians and all these guys. He's never actually like. He's not like a friendly neighborhood daredevil. He's just some <laughs> guy that in the shadow sometimes beats people up. He doesn't need public yeah. opinion to be on his side. And all he'd have to do is buy a different mask. That's it. Oh, buy a different one. (laughs) He put on a jacket, cuts the top of the mask, cuts some eye holes. He's a different guy. Yep, different person. He's not the guy you're looking for. Nope, sorry. I just think the plan doesn't actually accomplish anything. And it might, in the grand scheme of things, I don't actually remember what happens in this season. But... It just seemed kind of silly to me. It almost feels like just a quick and easy scapegoat for them to get him into a possibly different set of clothes. That was my that's not crossed my mind. Yeah, like that's like the only reason he would have to take off that mask is because they just put some some little uh, little plot armor in there. Plot plot whatever. Not armor. You know what I'm talking about. The I don't armor's know what, what comes later. You know what? No one knows what I'm talking about. I don't even know. A plot device? Plot device. That's the word. Device. <laughs> I speak on a podcast sometimes. I know words. Using. Using. That word wasn't even in there. With police storming you know words. Murdoch struggles to pull up a sewer drain before Rashnikov helps him and the two escape. The police kill rather than rescue the officer who had found and been bound by Murdoch. Murdoch 
carries Rashikov through a series of access tunnels pursued by officers with machine guns. Matt takes out two of the cops and attempts to continue fleeing, but Vladimir holds up one of the guns and announces his intention to stay behind and hold off the cops. He finally gives Murdoch the name of Leland Owsley. Then, as the man in the mask runs, Vladimir goes down into a firefight with the police, and the credits roll. Okay, I'm going to amend this, because this is the last stupid thing. He does not run. He, yeah, he walks, yes. He just sort of slowly walks through this tunnel as there's gunfire happening behind him, and yep. he just went through a door, as if they're not going to be right behind him through that door. He's doing the walk away from explosion thing. Yeah. He could probably taste the the bullets <laughs> and know how far away they were. What I want to know is why he didn't like quickly find like a building he could like come out of without his mask on as a blind man that no one would suspect. Yeah. What if he, he just took off all his clothes and was like naked, just walking around the street, just like a naked blind guy. And they're like, what's wrong with you? And he's like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason, you reminded me of a John Mulaney joke that I will not be repeating. Okay, good. I'm new in town. I'm new in town. <clears throat> Didn't we go through this probably. last episode? Yes. <laughs> so for our big takeaways, uh, for me, I'm just happy that they brought me back with these couple episodes. I'm going to be 100% honest. That third episode really soured me. And I had a hard time even with the fourth episode being good because of how much I disliked the third episode. But these two were solid episodes, and it looks like we've got a good foundation headed forward, and I'm excited. Yeah, Robbie, I agree with that. What about you? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, these are really good episodes. They really up the drama. Um, you are starting to get a scope of what's going on, how you know, Kingpin has this citywide master plan, um, exactly what the heroes are up against. We have seen Kingpin versus Daredevil, even though neither of them are going that name yet um it over the radio and so they now know what up each other's up against um and i also just really like that six had that intimate setting that you know mostly just takes place inside a warehouse uh but some great character interactions um and just really really building up the stakes and we kind of already knew that matt murdoch was out of out of his depth but now we're at the part where matt murdoch knows that he's out of his depth uh, so these are two good episodes and I think really pushed forward um, where the series is going, where the season is going. Peach? Yeah, I I don't have too much more to add, I guess, that uh, you guys haven't said. It's really ramping up. Ramp, ramp, ramp. Uh, and we're starting to get some stakes and like some real stakes and, you know, some of the, that, that, the group of bad guys that we saw at the beginning, they're starting to die off. Uh, We're starting to understand which ones are more powerful and which ones were kind of just part of the, part of the gang. They were there to, um, you know, be destroyed early. And um, I think what this kind of boils down to for me at the end of every two episodes that we watch is I'm just more excited to see what happens with Kingpin. Yes, I already know. But at the end of each of these episodes, you're more and more like, well, how's Kingpin going to react to this? I want to see what Kingpin does. Um, so that's that continues to be my takeaway. Take her home, Chris. I'll take her home. Yeah, we uh, um, things are really starting to come <laughs> together. I'm, uh, I know who I 
wanna take me home. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> Country but <yeah>, think... roads. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Karen and Senor Foggy have somehow coincidentally met Claire, so that's fun. I don't know if they'll ever interact ever again, but hey, we got them in a scene together, so things are coming together there. Uh, I'm actually kind of curious to see if they ever find out about Matt's double life or not. Like, I, I genuinely do not know if that happens, so I'm excited to see if he keeps it a secret or if he kind of lets them into his inner circle or, you know, there's only so many times you can lie about why you're coming in with bruises all over your face. Um, but uh, Ben is starting to put things together on his big old conspiracy board. I love a conspiracy board. Uh, especially that he uses playing and he cards. He just writes I things think. on playing cards? like. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, I connect these things. These two jacks, they're the Russians. <laughs> Who is the king of diamonds? You know? Russians. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but most importantly, uh, Matt and Wilson, uh, Daredevil and Kingpin, have finally met. They've had their introductions, and I'm... I've been waiting for that moment really since Kingpin was introduced. It's like, I know that eventually these two will become enemies. I'm glad that they're not dragging out even longer. I need to find out about Fisk. Tell me about Fisk. I'm glad he's like, I've had a conversation with Fisk now and I know how bad he is and oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, I'm screwed. Uh, you know, and it's, I, I, I'm excited to see where it goes from there. And figure out really more of fisk's plan because if he loves the city so much why is he allying with heroin dealers uh stay tuned uh i'm curious how far in advance they knew this series would go did they did they know from the production of season one that there would be a season two if i remember correctly they did not this might have just been a one season thing i think in season two they knew there was going to be a season three if i remember correctly or I think in season two, okay. they knew there was going to be the Defenders, and in the Defenders, they knew there was going to be a season three. Well, they announced the Defenders with, when they announced, they announced the four Netflix shows and the Defenders all at once. Got it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're so, right. You're right. I don't remember if they announced that there would be a second season or Daredevil before there was Defenders, but um, but they did announce that there would be Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist leading into the Defenders. Because you, you definitely, if, if nothing else, if they didn't know, you get that accelerated plot a little bit. And in this case, it's not a bad thing, right? Because if they're thinking there's only 13 episodes, they better give you something good with the villain halfway through. Like, if yeah. you're wondering the whole time until the last few episodes what's going on, it would have been too much of the same thing. It would have been a bunch of episode threes. Yeah. I and mean, Eduardo would have quit this podcast. <laughs> yeah, and that, I mean, that's a problem that a lot of movies have that we've talked about where they're holding off on their good villain until the sequel. So you better hope you get a sequel then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's yeah. going to do it for this episode. It's, well, I think, one of our shortest episodes in quite some time. It really time. is. We yeah. kind of ran through this one. I mean, and that's because they were like pretty straightforward episodes, I would say. There wasn't a lot of twists and turns. It was just a very like kind of straight and narrow couple episodes that kind of tied into each other. So uh, maybe next week we'll get a little bit more discussion going that isn't about copper in the air. What do we do with all this extra time? Should we just just hang out for like 40 more minutes? And just I mean, I remember thinking if we're done early, that means I can watch the Cowboys, but I sure don't want to do that thing anymore. Oh, no. Uh, 
that bad, huh? Uh, Can they smell the copper or taste the copper in the air? I don't know what that even means in this context. Uh, it's referring to the me. backup quarterback's hair, his copper hair. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I think that's going to do it. Uh, you can always send us an email, assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at assemblycast. You can find myself, ABC Eduardo One, Phil Kid Three for Robbie, Gator Sax Twenty Ten for Chris, D underscore Peaches for Peaches. Soon do for myself, for Chris, for Robbie, for Peaches. I have a plug. Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> okay, sorry. I didn't know if you're. I didn't know how if you were going to introduce it or not. No, um, I completely forgot. So please go ahead, no, Chris. It's all, it's all good. Yeah, uh, yeah. So before we go, um, little announcement. Uh, I feel weird talking about. It. I haven't talked about it much, but. Uh, I have a comic coming out at the end of the month. Um, it's going to be part of an anthology. Uh, long story short, back at the beginning of quarantine, Gail Simone, who is the writer of such things as Birds of Prey and Wonder Woman and Deadpool and Domino, um, did a sort of a week-long thing on Twitter called Comic School. And it was, you know, got a bunch of people who hadn't really written comics before, you know, it, it was like a week long thing where by the end of it, you'd written a five to eight page script. Uh, and some people decided to put together an anthology of scripts. So I submitted my script, forgot about it for several months, and then got an email saying, Hey, we picked your, uh, your script. And I'm like, Oh crap. Okay. Uh, so I've been working on it kind of for the past few months with an artist and, you know, a couple other, other people. And it will be coming out on October 31st. Um, they're releasing it through Gumroad and, uh, stay tuned for possibly more, um, releases down the, down the line, uh, more details. Um, my story is called the order of Nimbus. Um, real excited to have it out there. I actually, just before we recorded, I approved the final colors of the, uh, of the artwork. Uh, so very excited about it. If you want more information, oh, the uh, it's um, being sold for charity. So all the proceeds will go to Direct Relief, uh, which is an organization uh, that uh, it's a nonprofit that uh, their mission is to improve the health and lives of people affected by poverty or emergency situations by mobilizing and providing essential medical resources needed for their care. Kind of very important right now with the pandemic and everything going on, of course. Uh, so excited to be helping uh, helping a good cause there. If you want more information, you can follow Anthology School at Anthology School on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, they've releasing previews for, um, I think there are 10 stories in this anthology, something like that. Uh, so you can see some preview art, including a couple previews uh, for my story. So I will probably be talking about the next few episodes, trying to, you know, just remind everyone about it. But very excited to, uh, to show it off to all y'all. To so hope you'll check it out congrats man yeah, yeah that's really sure. really cool thank you it's uh it's it's been an exciting few months right yeah okay but for real this time it's gonna do for myself okay, but Chris, yeah, <laughs> ravi peaches we love you 3000 bye everybody excelsior hell hydra boobly boobly
Huh. Did everything just taste purple for a second? 